Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Kids Media Club podcast. I'm Andy Williams. Hello and I'm Joe Redfern and I'm going to hand straight over to co-host Emily who's got a very special guest to introduce today. Yeah, my name's Emily. I'm an independent kids media consultant and I'm very excited uh, to have Ryan Bradley on from DreamWorks TV Animation. Um, Ryan is the SVP of TV and brand marketing there and he's on to talk about Gabby's Dollhouse which I, if, if you are familiar with anything that comes out of my mouth or either uh, through the Kids Media Club podcast or to my writing, you'll know that I'm a huge fan of Gabby. So thanks so much for joining us, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So we're just- and I suspect, just to jump in, I suspect Andy and I won't say so much because I can see how many questions Emily has poised on the tip of her tongue for you, Ryan. <laughs> I never thought that I would care so much about a girl and cats at this stage in my career, but I'm happy to talk about it ad nauseum. So oh, bring well, it on. That's kids, that's kids TV for you. You know, one day it's a girl and cats, the next day it's a narwhal, you know, um, like it's, it's amazing. But I, I really love Gabby because, um, you know, I think there's a lot of very like clear brand and toyetic hooks about the IP, but I also think it does some really heartwarming stuff and I think in kids those of us who are practitioners in kids media you know I'm, I'm a big I'm a big purveyor of it the brand has to be successful to have an impact but there's some great things that Gabby does you know on top of be so sticky for that kind of audience which is you know like diverse lead and and like all of the kind of the storytelling and the problem solving and all that kind of stuff so I'm such a fan of the IP because I, I feel like it does it, it clinically hits all those great brand boxes, but it also isn't cynical and it tries to do good in the world too. So anyway, that's my pitch on it. What, how was that, Ryan? How would you describe Gabby's Dollhouse? I think that's a great description and I will share my anecdote is um, deep into it. It was probably after season three. I was sitting in my office and I have an Apple TV in my office. And so I just often play the content so that it's continually you know, refreshing for me. And I was in the middle of working and I heard something and I stopped and I went back and I rewound. And it was one of those moments where a character doesn't know how to do something and Gabby approaches it with that. It's okay. You just don't know how to do it yet. And the strange thing about it is that had been built in from the beginning. We had been talking about it as a positioning. We had been talking about it as, you know, something that's central to the show, but it was in this weird visceral moment where it struck me and I was like, oh my gosh, a kid is hearing that somewhere. A kid is actually absorbing this and really um, opening themselves up to the possibility of what is their potential future and, and you know, how can they, you know, survive or achieve and thrive. Uh, and, and sometimes it it's good for adults to hear that pat. too. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we all need that pat in the back too, for sure, mm-hmm. Ryan. At what stage in, in Gabby's development did you really feel that you guys had a true potential franchise that you could see the picture coming together to go, yeah, okay, let's let's get the rocket ship going. Sure. Uh, I believe there was hope from the beginning simply because the DNA of what inspired the show was also so, um, you know, it had said such strong indicators. Um, we talked a little bit about cats, cats in the internet, cats as family pets, cats as kids. Um, there was just something there, you know, like, okay, people have done, people have done dogs, people have done other things, they've done cats too, but this was a really unique and, and fresh perspective on, on that slice of it. And then the second that uh, Jen and Tracy, the creators um, had talked about was um, sort of being inspired by the unboxing phenomenon on YouTube. And although that was quickly evolving and has kind of moved beyond where it was, you know, a few years ago, 
there was still something very, very central to the DNA about what were these people doing? They were telling stories about things. And so with Jen and Tracy's inspiration of, of, you know, unboxing as you're unboxing a story, you're pulling out a miniature and that's launching you into this imaginative world. Uh, you pair that with the cats. And so you felt from the very beginning, wow, there's something unique and interesting here. I think by the time we got into testing and, you know, some of those early, you know, concept stuff with kids and you could see how they were responding to it, um, you, you had a stronger sense. I'm somewhat cynical and pessimistic sometimes, though. So that for me, it was the first time, you know, we launched in the pandemic. We launched in January of 2021 with the, the first season drop. Uh, it was starting to see instantly how the Instagram feeds were filling with kids that were just embracing and enjoying the content. And sort of seeing that firsthand reaction where, where frankly, we had been so far apart from other people um, that you didn't have that sense of person, personal connection. And then all of a sudden I was seeing that sort of come across the feeds and, and seeing how kids responded to it where I felt, um, yeah, we've got something. I had one quick question on that, which was I'm just curious how much the show was adapted or changed based on the feedback from the parents and the kids in that process. We really leave it to the creators to interpret what they hear in those situations and figure out what's important to them. It's really about their vision. And at the end of the day, the content is the thing that drives the entire engine, right? You need to have a great show. Um, they are terrific creators. They've got long pedigrees and track, uh, you know, track records. And I think they were able to truly um, listen and, and take the things that were meaningful and apply those um, appropriately. Great. And in terms of how, how it's evolved too, just, just extrapolating that question from Andy there, how do, how, how do you test and learn? You know, you mentioned you heard that phrase in your office in season three. What's, what's the process that you go through and with those creators in figuring out how to evolve and refine Gabby's as it goes along? Yeah, I think the the premise is true regardless of where you are in any of the seasons, right? It's truly about mm -hmm. the social, emotional learning um, uh, philosophies and principles. Those really guide it. I think there's a there's a temptation to keep pushing it beyond and sort of taking it into extra places in anything, any content, not this specifically, but anywhere where you feel like you have to innovate. But I think once you land in that sweet spot, and once you really understand what you've got, you are looking, it, it's more of, um, it's not a, a necessarily a, a revolutionary thing, but it's an evolutionary thing where you're just looking for the little adaptations to bring freshness and uniqueness to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's also, you, you talked about that unboxing thing. I think it's playing with kids in the way that they're playing. You know what I mean? Like, we're not trying to go, here's the story as we think it should be told. It's kind of playing with the way that they're behaving. And I think that's one of the key ways that Gabby, Gabby really, you know, connects. Um, so you, you, you see that, you see, you know, you, you told from the start you were onto a good thing. You know, you're seeing it coming through through development. And then obviously the time comes for launch in January 2021. Um. Like how how much planning went into that? I mean, I've kind of detailed how you guys have evolved the show from a strategic point of view over the, over the say the two years since you've launched. But like, how much was in plan from the start versus how much was reactive along the way? Uh, I I would say it's really well planned. I think you know we had had um, so I've been at DreamWorks for nine years now, and since the um, the renaissance of the Netflix relationship in 2013, 2014, 
been here for every show except the very first one, Turbo Fast. So I've had a lot of time to work with with streaming as a space and, you know, a lot of test and learn across a lot of brands. Things like Dino Trucks was an interesting example. And then we had Spirit Riding Free, which which has a, a nice long run. And every one of those opportunities was a, a was a uh, every one of those pro programs was a way to learn something new. So by the time we were at Gabby's, we had a, a more robust and sort of developed toolbox um, and strategic thinking in terms of what the approach was. Uh, I would say it was it was well and early thought out simply because the competition is enormous these days, right? Everyone's got streaming platforms. There's kids content everywhere. You look at even YouTube as being a huge, you know, uh, competitor for screen time. Um, and so the the key thing is how do you stand out, right? How do you launch? How do you launch something new? And how do you put yourself in front of kids? So the idea on the YouTube launch being in August before the season launch in January of 21, August of 20 and January 21 was let's put this brand and let's put these characters in front of kids in a place where they're going to spend a lot of time so that by the time they come to the series launch in January and Netflix, they recognize these people and they want to know more. So it kind of was a real long lead strategy in figuring out how do you start laying, how do you layer in character recognition, brand awareness, logo recall, things like that, so that by the time you landed on a platform that has a lot of options for kids, um, ours was the one that they wanted to pick and stand out. Yeah, I love that. And I love hearing that because it, it seemed to me that, you know, you planned the plan, you did the plan, and it, it can be very hard when you're launching a kid's brand not to be reactive to what you're seeing in the audience, to what you're seeing from stakeholders. So yeah, like fair play for holding your nerve on that. Um, there's something, launches, I say there's something about animation too, where, you know, animation takes time, right? We're, <laughs> we're on, you know, long production cycles. So there's only so much you can do at any given point, right? And so sometimes you are just kind of, you know, keeping faith and, and holding the line just to, to get to where you want to go. Yeah, the YouTube launch was really interesting because it went so far in advance of the series launch. I mean, from a, from a marketeer's point of view, it's not that far because you're like, yeah, I'm going to get the kids to know this content, going to put the right type of content on there. And then when it launches, that's all going to be gravy. But, you know, from a platform point of view and exclusivity, that is a, probably a more sensitive conversation. How did you get stakeholders on board for that? Did you have to pull the horse to water? I mean, you might not be able to say too much, but I'd love to hear some insights on how you guys managed to get that over the line. There is, a, a, everyone understands this is a collaborative endeavor, right? And that there's lots of different people involved and lots of different lines of businesses that can benefit and, you know, succeed from it. And, um, you know, including and, and most uh, importantly, our primary distributor, Netflix there. So um, it is largely about transparency and communication and um, context. And that was, that's one of Netflix's favorite words that I've experienced is context. Um, and you set the right context and, and you can get buy-in. So in this case, we did. Um, and I think, you know, they were also pleased by the fact that, uh, that it landed as, as big as it did in January. Great. And just for the benefit of the listeners, for the benefit of the listeners, could we um, just explain what the lead time was between launching on YouTube to mm. being on Netflix uh, and also just a comparison about what might be more of an average kind of lead time um, traditionally for a for a new show 
Sure. So um, in um, most streaming for kids tends to be incredibly transactional. You want to put the property in front of them when they can go in and engage on it directly. So our normal lead time for a show is, you know, somewhere about a month out is when a trailer launches and then you start getting some more materials that are out pre-launch. Um, but the, the meat of the campaign, the heaviness of, of everything comes at the time of launch. For Gabby's, we launched uh, our first piece of content on, uh, which was the theme song, um, the main title opening credit theme song on International Cat Day, August 8th of 2020, right? So, and that was um, essentially five months out ahead of time from, uh, from series launch in January. I love that. The context is interna- International Cat Day. I mean, (laughs) argument one, right? Like, that's just, there's just no argument. We love a social holiday. Um, (laughs) But it's, you know, it it was, uh, so then there was a a, a steady drumbeat of content. It wasn't, it wasn't the frequency. Frequency is another key thing in this. I'm sure we'll talk about that in in a little bit more. But um, the regularity of the frequency at that point was about one every other week or sort of some phases where we had three weeks on, two weeks off, three weeks on of new content coming out. Um, but really um, walking a fine line of giving something that's compelling and interesting and really works for the platform at that point, YouTube, but then really reserves um, the grand reveal and the, you know, the, 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 um, the joy of the series for the launch in January. So it was about and, a five-month window. Yeah. Great. And, and in that five-month window, was all of that content... Was was it um, bespoke to YouTube or was it drawn from the core content that was launched the following January? It was drawn from the core content. It was incredibly important to give kids what they would expect to see at the time that we that they were able to tune in to launch. We didn't want to confuse anyone or or you know sort of um, um, you know misrepresent anything in in that sense. So it was all drawn directly from it. You'll also notice if you study the content, it was very musically driven, right? There's a lot of great music in the show. It's mm-hmm. one of, I think, the secret weapons of why this this um, uh, brand is so successful. And the combination of, again, YouTube as a music platform as well for, for music videos, the Cat of the Day songs, um, was just also another great thing to pull from that wasn't narratively disruptive, uh, but really gave you... Um, really terrific views of who these characters are and kind of what their their vibes are. Yeah, I guess that's the kind of balance with YouTube is to get something that the audience can engage with without knowing the show, you know, so that they can find something compelling about it without needing to have watched all the episodes and, and, and that's how you're able to convert them for sure. One great agreement of one great agreement with Netflix though was the ability to put the first episode, the pilot episode out on YouTube. And that was one of the key things we did in August. So we put a full episode out there. It really explains what the premise of the show is. It introduces you to the core cast of characters. Um, and that became a workhorse for the the engine that ran on YouTube to just sort of find kids um, and introduce them to the brand. I think also using the music plays to the, plays to the strength of YouTube as well in terms of feeding both the algorithm and what kids love to consume on the platform. So in a way it was... It had two two benefits using the songs on YouTube. Of all of the different ways to kind of build pre-awareness, do you think YouTube is just the most important of the kind of different tools that you have to build pre-awareness for a show before it goes on Netflix? 
I think it's an incredibly important one. I think there's also huge context as it was 2020, right? There was, you know, we were in the middle of a global pandemic. Everyone was at home. It, you were not, you know, what was the point of outdoor at that point, right? Kids weren't going to school, school programs, like all of those other things that you um, may have done just weren't really available. Um, so it became a, it, it became, I think, even more central to the plan, although it, it always is. It is an important platform. It is a, you know, a, a place where kids spend an enormous amount of time. Um, we have terrific partners uh, internally with our Peacock Kids YouTube team um, that sort of uh, assist and manage our program. Um, and uh, they're really experts in the field and, and we um, leveraged their talent and experience to, to use that platform to the best of its ability, especially at that time. And what's the platform footprint look like now? What, where does Gabby's extend to now outside of Netflix and YouTube? So we've got a, it, it's really a 360 ecosystem approach to the content. So one of the other things that was an early pre-awareness launch, which um, maybe may have felt like a little bit of a risk is um, with Spin Master, our toy partner on the brand, we launched the Gabby's Dollhouse app for iOS and Android, and we launched that in October of 2020. So again, a couple months before the series came out. Um, and, uh, you know, that was just another way of getting kids into the experience and letting them play and explore and sort of uh, go on that journey of discovery through, through all the things that we wanted them to connect and recognize with. So and what, what stage, what was, what, what was on offer at that app at, at the stage, Ryan? Was it, was it content? Was it, was it clips? Was it games? Like what was it's that games. pre-awareness offering games? Yeah. Mostly, mostly games, mini games, um, you know, sort of, you could go through all of the rooms of the dollhouse and sort of interact with the characters and learn a little bit about them. There were some paths, pass throughs to video content. But one of the things you find is kids, kids, if they're in a gaming app, they want to play. And if they yeah. want to watch something, they'll watch it, right? So although you kind of uh, approach all things to all people or all places need all material kind of uh, philosophy, you, um, the app was really designed for, for that engagement piece. Um, and so then in launch, uh, back to, to Joe's question, the launch window, you know, again, somewhat limited by what, where could you be, where were kids, you know, what were you doing? Um, but as we look now in 2023, you know, three years, two, two and a half, three years after the launch of the, the series, um, one of the things that we do is a field marketing program. So we're out there in person with kids at different places, um, you know, throughout the year. Uh, we launched our first EMEA-based program earlier this uh, summer in May and uh, June. We were in the UK and France um, mm. with, the, with the field activation. Um, and then obviously there's the consumer products line. So that's both online and retail, uh, both online and in brick and mortar retail. Um, so another meaningful part of our touch point. And then as part of our, our relationship, uh, you know, as, as with uh, NBC Universal, um, the character and things have started coming into our theme parks and, you know, some of the other important locations around our, our business. Yeah. So the, the launch happened, the launch happened in, in January, 2021. And like, I know I, I immediately clocked Gabby is kind of popping because she hit um, Nielsen in the first few weeks. And that's really difficult for a preschool IP to do. So at, at that stage, then, you know, what, what are the next kind of core temples that you're looking at? You're building your YouTube channel. You've got product coming up. The I think it was the following Christmas it launched in the US. Like what is, is it panic mode or is it like we've got, we've got this covered? Is it, is it a lot of content marketing? Like what, what are you thinking once you've got that launch done? It's like the sustained part isn't necessarily, you know, like it, it, it gets easier to forget. 
what were the kind of things you were looking at at that stage? I think we learned so much with some of those previous examples like Benefits and Spirit that we knew from the beginning a sustained strategy is as important as your launch strategy. We're in a world where there's just, uh, you know, there's constant opportunity and constant options. People are looking for ways to engage. And so from the beginning, we knew even at launch that the next, I think it was uh, our season two came out in August of 21. So we had an eight month window there. Um, we knew strategically that there was no, um, no good reason to take your foot off the gas at all. You pace things. You you know you can you can leverage what you can leverage. Um, but right after that launch, um, we uh, really turned on the YouTube content creation engine, um, and that's where we started. That's when we felt comfortable doing sort of derivative things. Like we have a, a DIY dollhouse series, which is someone who's sort of recreating the dollhouse from cardboard and materials. And that that also has just been an incredibly um, high performing series for us on YouTube. And so then you start getting into those brand extensions and other ways to you know interact and, and discover the characters that then led up to with the with the retail launch in fall of 21, um, introducing toy play content into the the ecosystem as well and sort of modeling the the toy play behavior for kids as well. Yeah, and again, that that plays back into to creating what works for the platform and what what viewers expect to see on the platform. Which is, it it sounds obvious, but not not every IP owner or creator really acknowledges that. There's, uh, and I think that's really important. Obviously, that's kind of marketing one hundred and one. Put content in the places uh, where your consumers want to see it most. Um, what I'm interested in delving into is. Uh, nothing attracts stakeholder interest like success, right? So now you have licensees, you've got stakeholders, you've got retailers, Netflix, senior management. How have you experienced that expansion in your stakeholder base as you've been with Gabby since season one and right through to season eight, which has now just landed? For personal, there's, there's a personal answer to that, which is it's awesome. Right. It's um, largely because when um, when you have the investment and the attention of, um, you know, the the important people that are making decisions across the, the bigger landscape, you have the support you need to actually deliver against what your goals are. Right. So I think a key thing is um, is just having their attention, having their support means that you can have honest conversations about what does the future look like and what do you need to continue and how. You know, what are your um, sort of positionings and strategic shifts as, as you're moving forward? Uh, and I think there was just a real openness and a real willingness to engage, um, which I think mm. is fundamental to, to And trust, trust must have been a big part of that, having had the success. And that, yeah. that trust mm. gives you, you know, at least the opportunity to then execute as you see fit as opposed to react. Mm-hmm. That's, I had a question actually on the stakeholders, which was that, I think a lot of times studios or production companies that do a series, particularly that goes to a streamer, sometimes that they feel it's a bit like, particularly in preschool, it's a bit like kind of throwing that show into the vortex and then they cross their fingers and and hope somebody will discover it. Did you feel like as a studio you had to drive a lot of the marketing for the show rather than rely on the platform to, to do that? How does that um, split of marketing responsibility work with um, when you're partnered with somebody like Netflix? 
mean, I, you know, I'm not inside their walls, so I can't speak to kind of what their strategies are. I will, um, I believe that one of the things that they say is true, which is they, their front page is one of the biggest marketing platforms in the world, right? Yeah. So the fact that yep. they have so many subscribers globally, um, that there is a huge amount of faith and trust um, in them as a distribution partner to just know you've given them the content, kids are going to have an opportunity to sample it. Kids are going to have an opportunity to engage. I think where we then fill, our, our approach was to fill in the gaps on other things where, where Netflix typically wouldn't do it from a IP specific standpoint. Um, we have great partnership with them on their Netflix family brand uh, or their Netflix mm -hmm. family objectives. Mm -hmm. um, so where they're really leading from that Netflix brand perspective, but then celebrating the IP within it. And Gabby is an important part of, part of that ecosystem uh, for their Netflix uh, family magazine, for their for their Netflix kids uh, YouTube channels, things like that. Um, but then we, from the studio perspective, um, did look for other opportunities on the things, especially going back to music. The music is owned by our company. It's fully exploitable from that perspective. And so we put it, we are the ones that put it out on streaming platforms like Apple Music and Spotify and, mm. and all those other places. Um, so it's really looking in partnership at the landscape and figuring out where can we best use our effort and muscle um, and then really push in that direction. That that That's great because I feel like sometimes production companies almost have too much of a traditional linear TV approach to the way a show gets marketed now that they they kind of rely on the platform doing all of the heavy lifting for the marketing and and getting the brand out there when actually the studio has an opportunity to kind of to really push that um, as much as possible really. I, I was I wanted to delve into one of my favorite topics which is gaming and you mentioned that you went out with games and mini games in the app relatively early. Uh, and again, we know how important gaming is to, to kids. What's the gaming strategy around Gab Gabby? Given that it's it's rooted in play um, and it's it has cats and pets, and we know particularly on platforms like Roblox how popular they are. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really understanding a core audience and what parents are also comfortable, right? The, the, the other huge part of this ecosystem is it's great that kids love it. You also have to have parents' trust and, and um, alignment mm -hmm. as well. And a one specific point of view on on um, doing mobile apps, iOS, Android mobile app was um, you had a sense of trust that if the parent installed the app, that they felt confident that their kid could explore in that place. Right. Um, and that app is really about a sandbox experience to gaming, which is sort of give some mm -hmm. tools and give some some discovery, but then let them free. It's not linear in that sense where um, you've got a narrative and a, that you know storyline that you're progressing through. Uh, and I think that is what reflects sort of the the same DNA of the show in terms of the play pattern and otherwise. So um, <clears throat> while platforms like Roblox and and um, you know other gaming opportunities are are super interesting, I think we're we are still leaning in hard where uh, we believe our audience um, is centered and where we also have parents' trust. Yeah. And then, so season eight just just launched, Ryan, and congratulations. Um, it's got two weeks in the global Netflix top 10, which is so difficult for um, for uh, any kid's IP to break into. So, like, well done on that. That's that's such an achievement. Uh, 6.8 uh, million hours viewed last week. Um how 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 much pressure is on each of those content drops? Is it just you know is is, is each time like first time it's all the pressure on, or do you guys feel like you're hitting your stride more? And is there anything you're adapting in terms of strategy for each one? I think the um, 
I there's no more or less pressure for any season drop from the beginning, right? I think that we we are truly thinking of this as a 360, you know, 365 brand. We are always thinking about it. We are always, um, you know, looking for where uh, do we want to put our weight. We lean into the seasons when it's the season time because that's the fresh content, right? It's the thing that um, that will be most new to kids at that point. Um, but it really is about balancing all of the things together. So I'd say that there's no more, there's no added pressure for it being just a season drop. Um, it's just a, you know, a great pillar in the overall uh, program. Um, I think the, the freshness perspective is um, a key thing where you want your creative um, to line up to your, your series narratives. Um, and then that's really what kind of sells the, the newness of anything. Um, the fact that uh, our creative approach for season eight was um, the cats as mermaids, right? So there are, you know, our key art and um, a lot of our content selections and things like that really um, pushed into that specific uh, narrative in the series is a way that you kind of create that newness and urgency and, and you know, sort of excitement with kids. Um, this to show them that they're seeing something slightly new or something new within the context of the thing that they really understand. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's, it's just trying to find that hook each time. Yeah. Um, but that's one thing I like about Gabby is that you could say cats and mermaids and you go, mercats, yeah, okay. Like you, you don't need to do much thinking to get there and, 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 and you kind of can imagine what it would be before you've even sampled, which is I think one of the, one of the uh, edges it has. Um, it, it's driven by the production schedule of the episodes themselves, clearly, right? You need the material to draw from. Um, but it would, I would say it's relatively early, at least a six to nine month window ahead as um, you know, we're thinking that far into the future at any given moment on the, on the specific creative. So with that in mind, what, like, what is, what's coming up for Gabby now? Like, what's, what's, like, is there anything you could say about what we know is going to come next? I mean, obviously, it feels like she's establishing as an IP. I can't imagine, you know what I mean? That there's going to be at the episode orders you have to assume will keep coming. Um, but is there, is there anything you can share with us about what you think, what you can see for her future? Uh, in the short term roadmap, um, we are still out with our field program in the U S so, uh, we're relaunching our, um, we have our West coast leg, uh, that starts next weekend, um, and runs LA up to Seattle. And then we have another um, phase of that in October to November across the South, um, Texas to Florida. Um, so, and then there is a, um, sometimes I get confused about, uh, we've got a season uh, moment in November. So, which um, um, uh, I think we're looking forward to next. Um, this is an important brand to us. There is a long range plan and, and I think that it'll be exciting to stay tuned and hear, uh, what's coming as, as yeah, it. there's a long range plan. And there's also, but there also has to be the buy-in because of the success you guys have had so far. Um, we spoke about, we spoke about YouTube. We spoke about the song element of the show. Is there any, is there one, two or three key things that you, you, you think has driven Gabby's success or what, what, what are your views on that? But kind of creatively and strategically, you know? Um, creatively, I think, I think it really does come down to the show. The YouTube is successful because the show delivers the content that drives um, that platform, right? So it all starts with Jen and Tracy in the series and the incredible team that makes the series. Um, I think they, they truly understand their market. Um, they understand who they're speaking to. They understand a way to speak to them that, that they can relate to. Um, I think Lila Lockhart Craner, our star is just amazing, right? Um, She's approachable. She's, you know, um, um, natural, authentic. 
Uh, and there is something about her um, that I also think is just that something that kids connect to uh, at, at a core level. Um, so I would say it's kind of the, the talent behind the creative process itself is, is really the reason it exists and why it's as successful as it is. Um, I think I, I am particularly proud of our YouTube program um, in partnership with Netflix on that. Um, we do a lot of pitch and catch between our channels um, where um, we, we strategize what content fits in which uh, you know, segment better and how do we um, you know, build each other up in that respect. Um, and that, that's been a terrific part of our, our collaboration with them as well. Um, and then I think there's one other thing. It goes back to um, a field, uh, a research survey that we did many, many years ago. So not, re not relative to Gabby's, but to a, an older property. We were in a focus group and a girl, um, an eight-year-old girl told us that she knows something's important when she sees it in the real world, right? Um, and that, you know, kids are so digital, right? They're digital natives. It's natural to them. And they, you know, again, anytime they're opening a screen, they have opportunity. So this girl um, said, I know something's important when I see it in the real world. And, and uh, you know, the fact that we have a successful toy line that lives on shelf is, is one of those key things where people are are seeing it, um, but it really pushed us to think about what are the other real world partnership things that we can do. Um, and our promotions team has been really successful in that realm as well with, um, you know, just looking at every opportunity and finding partnerships with bakeries and with um, juice and and uh, the state parks, United States States Park Program, things like that, of just trying to be, uh, again, in all of these places where you can find kids um, in their daily mm -hmm. natural lives. I love the accessibility of that. It doesn't always have to be like a Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade float. It can be something much more kind of organic and, and, and lo-fi, but also deeply connected in that kind of way. Mm. Um, if you had to describe Gabby's to someone who is completely new to the brand, I'm interested to, for, from your point of view, what words, what three words would you use to describe it? Oh, um, outside of the, the obvious ones, uh, cats, dollhouse, imagination, right? Those I think are, are kind of the, the, um, the, on the surface. Um, I think it's, um, it's a great question. It would be self-empowerment. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. That's harder than I, harder, <laughs> that's harder than I anticipated it would be, honestly. Uh, so, so much is there when you see it. So self-empowerment. Um, uh, um, I think that really, for me, that plays into what, what kids, what young kids want today particularly, is to feel empowered, actually. They want to feel like you're giving them agency rather than just talking at them. I think that's, that's one of the things that Gabby, Gabby's has, has done really well. And I think even it's come out in all of the different things that we've spoken about in terms of giving them content based around music on YouTube or craft and creative play. Mm. It's, a, it's, it's like, this is for you. Take it and do with it what you will. And I think that's really, really key. And if I, I, I will um, jump on that in, a, I don't know if you tracked our UNICEF Kid Power program last fall. Was that on your radar, Emily? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That I think was a great um, uh, marriage of the concept that you're talking about in, in that sense. So we had a terrific partnership with UNICEF, um, which was really about empowering kids' choices and making them feel ownership of, of being part of a community and giving back. 
Um, and so through that program, that was a custom custom content program um, we did in partnership with UNICEF, where at the end of it, kids could cast their vote for how do they want to create an impact in their communities through um, through blankets or school supplies or um, nutritional food packets and things like that. Um, and you're right, it was. It was about sort of modeling a behavior of um, being engaged, being invested, being um, open to new things and and um, really making an impact in your community. I, the, the last question I had was not to do with Gabby, but does anyone want to ask anything else on Gabby before I hit, I, I hit that one? Go for it. So exciting. Uh, so this has been really great, Ryan. Thank you, because it... I feel like there's been like lots of meat that, you know, like lot, there's lots of insights there that can be, that can be given out. So Ryan, the one thing I, I wanted to ask you kind of in conclusion in general, but you know, with reboots and reimaginings being a real core part of streaming offering these days, you guys have driven success um, with Gabby, she, you know, something original and original IP. There's more in process. Obviously you guys have just launched um, not quite Narwhal and there's, you know, the, the, the new IP go, go, go launch the same time as Gabby. Like they, they keep coming from um, DreamWorks uh, TV animation. How do you see the future of original IP and kids media? Is it getting harder to break out? Is it possible? You know, should everyone be trying it? You know, do you need the big machine behind it to make it work? I mean, what's the future, Ryan? Tell us. Uh, if I knew, uh, <laughs> it would be incredible. Um, I think at, at the core um, there's always a balance between those things, right? There's there is there's a reason why franchises are franchises and why legacy properties are still around. Um, you know, thing things like SpongeBob and Peppa and and you know even Paw Patrol at this point, um, you know, are are um, established. They were all new at one point, right? They were all new at one point. So you have to take those swings. I think um, there's just um, there's no reason not to to um, believe that if you have um, if you've got the goods then then you should bring them to the table and, and you know put it out there for uh, to give audiences a chance to engage so um, I think that we will continue to see uh, original IP um, come through um, I do think it's harder to break out I do think that you need to think about it as an ecosystem I do think it, you know it requires it it does, it's not even that it just always requires money, even though it's great to, to have that as part of your, you know, your um, resources that you can draw upon. But it's really thinking um, about what is the life of a kid these days and, and where do you need to be to be engaged with them? And not everything is super expensive, um, but, uh, but you really need to be thinking of it in that 360 um, kind of 360 perspective. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's fair. And I, even if you think of the YouTube offering, like YouTube, and I, I have this conversation with folks, like getting a kid's brand on YouTube, yeah, if, you, if, you're, if you're creating a TV show, there's a way to do it efficiently. And it doesn't mean you can do it completely for nothing, but you know what I mean? There's a way to do it efficiently and make it, and make it push through. Um, and, but it doesn't always have to be like a $10 million marketing budget or whatever. It can just be building your own little world and your own little audience and building that following. So I hear what you're saying there for sure. Yeah, and I think one of the things I found really inspiring about um, what you've just been talking about is that for so many new shows, they come onto a streaming platform and there isn't that awareness of that show. So sometimes they just get lost amongst all of the options available. Uh, and I think with Gabby, you've done a fantastic job of building that awareness around the show. So there was some familiarity to that brand when it came to Netflix. So so I think that's really useful Um information for people to have when they're thinking about building kids brands and i think we're, we're all in it together in the in the perspective that this is a new way you know or 
streaming's been around for you know 10 15 years whatever you would call it now but this is sort of the the um the paradigms are being set as we go through them where you know the kids three years from now that that aren't born are going to have a different relationship to the platforms as well and kind of what that is and so it's just being responsive it's um, a lot of listening a lot of learning a lot of transparency a lot of communication um and then um you know just sort of also um, a little bit of faith you kind of go back to the very beginning which is yeah you set your plan and you work your plan and you know if, if uh um, you won't always be successful, but uh, but you certainly can if if um, you stick to your guns. So. I think that's an amazing message to uh, to end on. Awesome. <laughs> so thank you so much, Ryan. I think that's been fascinating, not just in the sense of of talking about Gabby specifically, but again, it's uh, a masterclass on how you build kids' IP these days, which is different to even how you did it five years ago. And as you mm-hmm. said. Will be different again in three years' time. So, uh, yeah, having uh, the one thing that we do try to do with the podcast is leave our listeners with a little bit more knowledge and information that they had that they can take into their own work um, as the day progresses. So, thank you. So you've certainly delivered against that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. And thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode. And until next time, take care.